0: Man, that is a good-looking cheeseburger. It's the second time I've seen it today. That is a good-looking cheeseburger. Well, buenos dias, iglesia. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Christian, and I'm so glad you decided to join us today. Um, We're in a really fun series right now as a church called Summer Cookout, and we're looking at some fun food stories throughout the Bible. Um, There have been some great messages in this series already and I want to make a plug real fast. If you weren't with us last week because you were traveling or you just, you know, whatever, um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Ethan's message from last week. It was a, it was a great message, and it, it helped me figure out how to navigate the tension of being a citizen of heaven and a citizen of my country. And it was a really great message. Um, Ethan taught us how to love our country um, like guests like prophets and like gardeners. And so if you weren't here, um, go back and check that message out on Facebook, check it out on YouTube, or grab a CD on your way out the door today. Um, I love this series because summer is one of my favorite times of the year. And I mean, who doesn't love a summer cookout, right? If you get invited over to a friend's house for a summer cookout, you're not thinking, yeah, no, I'm just gonna skip that. No, everyone loves a summer cookout. There's something special about food, fresh off the grill. And I know for my family, we love more than anything just to sit around a fire and share stories, spend time with family or friends, um, hang out with our dogs, or just read a good book. There's something special about summer. And summer in student ministry um, is a really unique time. In fact, in, during summer, we have all sorts of awesome ways that we get to see God work in the lives of students so we do all kinds of trips and events and special things and stuff like that in fact actually we have a lot of students who are leaving um, after services today to go to Appalachian Christian Camp for the week a lot of our middle school students and so I was thinking today I was thinking about summer and I was thinking about um, like the trips and things like that that we go on student on in student ministry And then I was thinking about our story for today that we're going to be looking at from the Bible. And as I was thinking about all of that, I started thinking about the first mission trip I ever went on. So the year was 2009, and for those of you doing the math at home, I was 19 years old. And I was interning with one of my friends at a church across town. And my main responsibility for the summer was to just secure all the details and plan our junior high service trip to Knoxville. And so, you know, all summer I'm reserving vans, I'm like getting event tickets, I'm thinking about food and transportation and all that stuff. And uh, one day, so we were leaving the next Sunday, my, my supervisor comes in on Monday. And he sits down, and he says, all right, I want you to run through all the details for the trip. Um, And so he started asking me about schedule and food and transportation and event tickets and all that stuff. And so I'm just rapid-firing everything off. Man, you could tell I was ready. And I was really excited because I was really excited for this trip. I'd never had this kind of experience before, um, and I was really looking forward to spending this time with our students And so he looks at me after I've answered all of his questions. He gets a little smirk on his face. He leans back a little bit and he says, "Uh, Yeah, man, all this sounds great. It sounds like you've got it. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm not going next week. And I I was like, Wait, 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 wait. You mean I'm not going next week? Like something's come up here and you need me to stay? And he's like, No, man. I'm not going with you next week. You're going to be leading the team. And in friends in that moment, I freaked out. In fact, actually, as I'm telling you this story, as I'm thinking about this, my hands are still, like, they get sweaty still. Like, thinking about how I felt in those moments. I mean, who in their right mind would trust a 19-year-old with 11 kids and two other adults? Like, no one's going to do that. But he did. And, uh, the whole next week, I, I tell you, the whole next week, I thought he was just messing with me to see what I was going to do. Like, oh, he's just playing a joke on me. We're going to get in the vans, and, he, and he's going to just jump in with us and be like, no, nah, man, I'm going. I mean, who, would, who would let you lead a trip on your own, right? And we get to the day of the trip. And even he's there, you know, he's like, we're, getting, we're going through everything, and he's telling parents, yeah, no, I'm not going, but Adam's going to do a great job. And one, who, who lets their kids go on that trip in that moment? Let's be honest. Who When not you know, when the the guy comes up and he says, hey, so yeah, like this 19-year-old intern that you know, Adam, he's going to be taking all the kids and I'm just going to stay here. Like, no, I can't believe people let their kids go on this trip. But as we pulled out, my friend was not with us, and I felt so overwhelmed and stressed and underqualified and all sorts of other things. And as I'm thinking about our story for today, I realize that a lot, of oursel- a lot of us find ourselves in situations like that, where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel underqualified, when we feel, where we feel unprepared. Maybe it's a, a project at work. You really wanted to like, look good for your boss, and so you, you took on a project, and you're like, I have no idea how to do this project. Uh, maybe a family dynamic shifts last minute, and you wake up one morning, and you find that you find yourself in a situation in a place that you weren't prepared for with responsibility you don't feel qualified to have. Uh, Maybe for you, maybe in your situation it's looked like you're looking at the the amount of bills you have left to pay that month and the amount of money you think is going to come in that month and wonder how in the world are we going to make this happen. times like that leave us feeling stressed, leave us feeling overwhelmed, leave us feeling underqualified. And that's where we find the disciples, the closest followers of Jesus in our story for today. And I love the story we're going to be looking at today. Um, This story was so important for the early church that it's included in all four Gospels and all four stories about the life and teachings of Jesus. And so it was so important. The different people from different places with different backgrounds all said, Hey, we need this story because this story tells us a lot about the character of our God. In our story for today, um, uh, we meet Jesus after uh, he, he's received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed unexpectedly. And so um, naturally, as a lot of people would, Jesus needs some time to kind of process this with the people closest to him and so he kind of goes off with his disciples but Jesus was popular by this time and when people heard Jesus was on the move they wanted to see where he was going to go and what he was going to do and so when he arrives to the place where they were going with his disciples he finds a whole bunch of people there waiting for him and that's where we pick up our story in Matthew 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And so the disciples are there, and they're watching Jesus kind of do all these miraculous things, and they're watching people be, be healed, and all kinds of, and Jesus is teaching powerful things. But the disciples start looking around, and they realize, oh man, it's getting late, it's, uh, it's not going to be safe for these people to travel at night. And it just takes one group of people to get just a little too hangry for this to blow up in our faces. So we got to send these people away to get some food. And so they go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, listen, that group over there, if they start getting hangry, it's going to be a problem. We need to send these people. Um, we need to send these people home so they can get some food. And Jesus replies to them, and he says, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And in Mark's version of the story, the disciples get caught up in the logistics, and I think they were, I feel, I imagine them in my mind, like me when I was sitting in that chair, finding out that I was going to be going on that trip alone, and they think, wait, wait, don't you mean you, Jesus? You're going to give them something to eat, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 you give them something to eat. And so I imagine them kind of looking together, like gathering together and trying to figure out what to do, And I think their first response would be, oh my gosh, why does Jesus always put us in this situation? Because if you you read the stories before this, if you look at the stories before this, Jesus, they've just gotten back from a trip where Jesus said, hey, so I want you to go and share the good news in this region, uh, but I don't want you to pack any bags, I don't want you to take any money, I don't want you to take any food. You can take a walking stick with you if you want, but that's all and they go. And I can imagine someone saying, like, isn't, isn't that good enough for you, Jesus? We just did that, and now we've got to do all this. And then I picture John, because he's the youngest, he's got his iPhone over in the corner, like, searching for caterers and restaurants, and he's like, man, there's not even a Chick-fil-A close by. Like, they would take this catering order. No one else would. Uh, there's nothing, guys. And then I picture Peter with him, and he says, now, guys, even if we have the food, which, let me be the person to remind you all, we actually, we don't have the food and have no way to get the food. How are we going to teach these people to be prepared next time? How are we going to, like, what are we going to do to teach them to make sure they bring food with them next time? And so they're trying to figure all of this out, but Jesus doesn't get caught up in any of that. Instead, he just asks them to look around and see what's available. And after they search, they come back with something, but it's not anything special. They say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. And the author of John tells us that these five loaves and two fish were brought by a little boy. And that little boy didn't come that day prepared to cater a conference, and he didn't have a year's wages to offer, but he heard the disciples talking. He knew there was a need, and he offered up what he had at his disposal. And I imagine the disciples, you know, like looking around and asking for food. And I I imagine the little boy giving them, you know, what he has. And then they continue searching. And I imagine some people as they pass, like not wanting to make eye contact with them because they don't want them to ask them for food. I imagine some people sitting maybe with their family with picnic baskets, like other people had food, right? They just didn't have enough to share with everyone. And so when the disciples came by, they said, ah, we just have enough for our family. We're so sorry. And they keep searching And I can imagine how they felt when they came back to Jesus. And they said, well, Jesus, this is what we've got. Five loaves and two fish. And Jesus doesn't, like Jesus, that doesn't bother Jesus at all. It's almost as if he's expecting this because he says next, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And after it was all said and done, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So there's at least 10,000 people here, right? Man, talk about a summer cookout. Jesus takes five, like, Jesus takes a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish, and he turns it into enough food to feed the masses. And this story today is a reminder that our God turns ordinary offerings into extraordinary things. And I recognize this morning that we hear this story in different ways at different times in our life. And so some of us may be sitting here this morning, and we're focusing on the ordinary, and we're looking around, and we think about what we have, and we say, man, how insignificant is what I have to offer? If, Jesus can do, if God can do miraculous things, then he doesn't need what I have to offer, and we focus on the ordinary. But then, and this is the place I found myself in this week as I sat with this story, I, sometimes we can focus on the extraordinary, And we pause and we wonder, man, isn't it amazing that God does some of God's greatest work with the most ordinary offerings? And that's what I'm thankful for today, and that's what I'm challenged by today, is that our God can do extraordinary things with ordinary offerings. I mean, that's just what our God does. Our God takes the smallest gifts that are freely given, and he turns them into extraordinary, world-altering things. God turns our small offerings into whatever God needs to accomplish God's plans and purposes. And God doesn't just do this for Jesus. I mean, you know, sometimes I look at the stories about Jesus, and I'm like, yeah, you know, Jesus, Son of God, God with us, like direct connection to the Father, like Jesus is so awesome. But that couldn't happen in my life. Like, I'm not Jesus, right? And you might be entitled to that thought if we didn't see time and again throughout the Bible, that God takes ordinary things and turns them into something extraordinary. God did this with people. We read stories all throughout the Bible where God takes the, the lowest of the low, the, the least of the least clan, the smallest of all, like the smallest of a group of sons. God takes fishermen and turns them into disciples. God does this time and again. God takes ordinary people and uses them for extraordinary things. In fact, one of my favorite stories where God takes something ordinary and turns it into something extraordinary comes from the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4, and in this story, um, uh, there's a man named Elisha, and Elisha is a prophet. He's a messenger of God, and in this story, uh, Elisha is on a journey, and and along his journey, a lady stops him, and she says, Elisha, I need your help. She found herself in a place that some of us may find ourselves in, and she says, my, my husband has just died, and I'm, I feel really unqualified, I'm underprepared, and we don't have enough to make ends meet, and creditors are calling, and they're threatening to take away my sons. And So naturally, Elisha says, well, you know, what can I do for you? You know, what do you have? And so he's like thinking, well, let's see what you have. Let's see if we can work this out. And she says, well, I have nothing, Elisha. That's the problem well, I do have this one bottle of oil, this one small bottle of oil. And Elisha doesn't flinch. He doesn't say, well, lady, you're done for. You might as well run, out, run away and hide. No, Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to all of your neighbors, and I want you to get every container that you can find. I want you to get big containers, small containers, new containers, old containers. Ask your friends for every piece of Tupperware they have. Get as many pieces that, like, and don't be, don't be picky. No, get, like, have them get stuff out of their recycle bin. Get as many containers as you can. And when you do that, I want you to go into your house, and I want you to start to pour. Just start filling those containers with oil and keep doing that until the oil runs out. And so with nothing else left to do, that's exactly what she does. She goes into her house, she starts pouring the oil, and as she fills these containers, the oil just keeps flowing, continues flowing. And I picture them having a conveyor belt, and so her sons are handing her containers and she's filling them up, and you know, she says, bring on the next one, bring on the next one, and finally after a while... They say, well, we're, we're out of containers. And, the, and it's not until then that the oil stops flowing. And so naturally excited, she goes back to Elisha and she says, Elisha, you'll never believe what happened. I was able to fill all these containers with oil. And Elisha says, man, that is awesome. Take that oil and go pay off your creditors and you and your sons live on the rest. That's what I love about our God. Our God is a God of abundance. It would be enough, it would be a miraculous enough For God to say, for Elisha to say, hey, you know what? Go take that and pay off your debts, then go get a job, right? But that's not what he says, no. He says that go take that, pay off your debts, and you're going to be able to live off the rest with your sons. Man, can you imagine being in this woman's position? The bank is getting ready to repossess your car. They're getting ready to take your house from you, and you're looking at everything, and you look around, and all you have is a little bottle of oil. Feel pretty hopeless, right? But one of the great things about our God is that our God sees, what we see as hopeless, our God sees as an opportunity to show up in a mighty way. God can and God does do extraordinary things with ordinary offerings. And our God has been doing this throughout history beyond the Bible. Uh, there was a, a, a few weeks ago, we were on our uh, student ministry service trip to Birmingham, Alabama. And as a part of this trip, we went to a church uh, called Bethel Baptist Church. And uh, if you've never heard of Bethel before, Bethel Baptist Church was a church um, that was very, very deeply rooted and the center of civil rights um, work in the city of Birmingham in the 60s and 70s. And them and their their pastor, Fred Shuttlesworth, did amazing things for human rights uh, in the city of Birmingham and as the lady was talking to us, she referenced this, uh, this card, this pledge, that everyone who was a part of this movement uh, would have signed. And it's a really great thing. It's from the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. And there are 10 great things on this list. But what, stu- what struck me was after the place where you would sign your name. It says this, it says, besides demonstrations, I could also help the movement by doing some of these things. I can run errands, I can drive my car, Fix food for volunteers, clerical work, make phone calls, answer phones, mimeograph, which if you don't know what that is, I didn't know that either. It was like this ancient form of copying where you rolled the thing on there and it was like purple ink or something. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go YouTube this later. Uh, but mimeograph, so they could make copies, they could print signs, type, and distribute leaflets. Now, when I think about history and when I think about the civil rights movement, you, Maybe you may find yourself in the same place I was in where I thought our nation was transformed by the people who gave really big speeches or who did the, the major memorable things that we see in pictures and are recorded in our history books. But if you talk to any of those people who did those famous things, if you read what they wrote, they will tell you very quickly that what they did paled in comparison to the everyday, ordinary stuff that thousands of other people contributed. See, a lot of these people, they didn't have half a year's wages to give, and no single person could break down segregation on their own. But one family had a car that they could drive. Uh, Some people knew how to type, and others knew how to file permits, For demonstrations, and other people weren't afraid to make phone calls, and some people were just really great cooks, and God used all of these everyday, ordinary gifts to do something extraordinary, just like he did with the little boys, five loaves and two fish. And God has done the same thing in recent history here at First Christian. I was thinking about the SEND initiative this week where all of us got together and we believed that it was so significant and it was our calling to invest in the next generation of leaders and to be a SENDing church. And all of us, believing that together, were able to raise over a million dollars to start a new leadership program at Milligan, to start some new churches, and to fund some internships and residencies, and all of us did that together. No one person had that money ready to give. It was all of us saying, hey, I don't have a million dollars, but I have a little bit. And here's what I've got. I think about the Love Month food drive we did in February. I think about how we as a community recognized the great needs in Johnson City. And we responded in a huge way. We worked together to collect over enough food for over 4,500 meals. And all of that happened, not because someone said, Hey, I've got this big warehouse and I'm going to donate all this stuff. No, this happened because all of us just said, hey, we see this need in our community. And I can offer a jar of peanut butter. I can offer a can of soup. I can offer some breakfast cereal. And all of this happened because people were just willing, us as a community, we were just willing to give what we had. Friends, God can do extraordinary things with ordinary offerings and I was like humbled and challenged um, and overwhelmed and I was blessed as I thought about all the ways that God has been at work in our world through ordinary offerings and as I sat with the disciples and this little boy this week there are a few things that I feel like God is saying to us as a community and the first one is this the first is this you give them something to eat As I was looking at this passage this week, these words jumped out on the page, and Jesus said, Jesus says to us today, as he said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Because we all see, and some of us talk about the plights in our world, and a lot of us even are like, are waiting and praying for God to do something miraculous, but maybe God is saying to us today, you give them something to eat. You speak out against the injustice you see. You do something about the thing in the world that breaks your heart. You do something for the people who don't have the ability to do something for themselves. You give them something to eat. And we, as a congregation, have an opportunity to do something with this today, in this very moment, as we go out from this place. Friends, um, the needs of Second Harvest— have far outweighed what they could have ever imagined this year, and they're running out of food, like safe foods that kids can take home and eat when they're home alone. In February, you saw the picture on the screen, in February our community responded in humongous ways, and I believe we can do the same thing today. And so I want to encourage you, before you go to lunch today, take a moment and stop by the store and grab some peanut butter, grab some breakfast cereal, grab some Easy Mac, grab some soup, grab one or more of those things and bring them back here to the atrium and let's see what God can do. I was thinking too, by the way, I was just thinking about the geography of Johnson City. There are very few places you can go eat today without passing some sort of grocery store. You, I mean, think about it. You leave this parking lot and there's a Target. And then there's a Kroger, and then there's an Ollie's, and there's an Aldi, and there's a Fresh Market. Like anywhere you go in Johnson City, there's, there's an Ingalls, or there's something somewhere. There's a food line. There is something somewhere on your route to lunch. And one of the best things about half the grocery stores I mentioned is that they have awesome restaurants attached to them. So you could leave for lunch. Grab a couple of those things and bring them back. And I want you to do something right now that pastors will never really tell you to do. Ethan definitely wouldn't tell you to do this. You should take out your phone right now and you should text the people who are getting ready to come to service. So you have friends who will be here at eleven ten or at 5 p.m. tonight. Uh, take your phone out and text your friends and say, hey guys, we have an opportunity to see God do some extraordinary things today. Stop by the store on your way in and grab some peanut butter, grab some Easy Mac, grab some breakfast cereal or grab some soup. I know you're gonna be late, that's fine, like Sunday school teacher won't care, like Adam won't care, cause you know, he's telling us to do it. Um, but stop by and grab some things. Friends, God is giving us an opportunity to see God show up in some miraculous ways this week. And maybe God is waiting for us to offer something ordinary that he can turn into something extraordinary. But we would be doomed for failure if Jesus left us with this phrase, you give them something to eat. If Jesus would have said to his disciples, hey, guys, you give them something to eat. And, they, and then they, they, in their panic, they said, what, are, are you going to help us? He says, oh, no, no, you give them something to eat. I'm going to go up here and chill on the mountain and read a good book for a while. Like, they would be doomed, right? This next thing, this next phrase that Jesus says is what turns the ordinary into something extraordinary. And Jesus says to the disciples, and he says to us, Bring them here to me. Bring your ordinary gifts to me. See, friends, when we trust enough to offer what little we have to God, God gets to work, and God does amazing things. And today we're challenged to offer something very specific and something that might seem simple to us, and I promise if we offer that, we'll see God do something extraordinary. And so what do we have to offer today? For some of us, it might be money. Today, you might be saying, You know, I've got to leave church right now and get on a plane for work, uh, but I can give a friend five bucks to go buy a jar of peanut butter, to go buy some Easy Mac. It might be resources. Um, I can't tell you how many times our student ministry has been blessed, consistently blessed, by people who are willing to offer snacks on Sunday morning, by people who are willing to give food for events, by people who are just willing to say, Hey, you know, I don't, really, I don't really do great with kids, but I have a pool or I have a climbing wall or I have this great game room or this fun hangout space. God has used those things so much to transform the heart and minds of our students. You might have skills. You might be a good mechanic or an electrician. You might have some time on your hands. Um, And if any of those things are true of you, I want to encourage you to sign up for Love JC. It's coming up August 17th. Put your skills to work on a Saturday morning. Or for you today, it might very specifically be a jar of peanut butter. Friends, as a community, we have a chance to do something with this today. And I want to encourage you to not miss out on the opportunity to see God do something extraordinary. I had a friend, um, I was talking to him about this this week and thinking about this food drive. And he said, yeah, man, the craziest thing happened. Like I went to store on a Sunday afternoon in like February and I couldn't find peanut butter. Like not even the, the, the nasty extra chunky kind, like it was all gone. And he's like, then I was like, well, I want some Easy Mac. And there was no Easy Mac left. And he was like, what is happening to all this food? Friends, we have an opportunity this week to do that exact same thing and I would want nothing more than to walk into work tomorrow and a coworker say to me, "Man, I'm so ticked at our grocery store. You know, we were getting our groceries for the week and I couldn't find any peanut butter. I couldn't find any Easy Mac. I couldn't find any breakfast cereal. Like, what is up with that?" And in that moment, you have to say, "You you would have the opportunity to say God is doing something extraordinary." And every jar and every box And every little plastic container of Easy Mac, all of that is gonna find its way into the hands of a kid. And so today, we can do a couple of different things with what we have to offer. We can get caught up in the details. We can worry about how everything's gonna get distributed or what kind to buy or whatever. We can get caught up in the details. We can be embarrassed because we can think, man. I legitimately have enough space in my budget to buy like one container of Easy Mac. We can be be embarrassed. We can be selfish, right? We can say, you know, I really can't write a jar of peanut butter off as a charitable contribution. So I just, I'm not gonna be able to do it. Or we can offer it to God and watch God do something extraordinary with it. Coming back to this story one last time, there's one more phrase that stuck out to me and it was this. They all ate. And we're satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Man, this is how every good cookout should end, right? Like, you know, if you've ever thrown a cookout, that you were winning. If everyone is able to leave fat and happy, and if you have some stuff left over for later, like, that is a humongous win, and that's what our God does. Our God is a God of abundance. Our God loves to do extraordinary things with ordinary offerings, God did it with five loaves and two fish. God did it when hundreds and thousands of people offered what they had to a movement. And God did it for me on that service trip all those years ago. Because let's be honest right now, if I'd done really bad on a trip, if God hadn't provided, I wouldn't be here right now. Um, And God provided for us on that trip. God kept, uh, kept us safe, and some amazing lifelong friendships and relationships were built through that our God loves to do extraordinary things with ordinary offerings. Uh, let's, let's finish with this prayer from the book of Ephesians. God, I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.